Okay, well, a very good morning to you all and a happy new year. It's good to see you all here. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll take a look at that very challenging passage we just had read to us. Let's pray. Father, your, your word tells us that it is a light to our feet and a lamp to our pathway. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, illuminate the path before us through your word. And Father, help us, as we just sung, not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you in all of our ways. Show us the way you would have us walk. Help us, Lord, if there are, if there are things that we have misunderstood, if there are things that we've become deceived about, then please, Lord, by your word, open our eyes to see those truths. And most of all, Lord, we pray this morning that you'd help us open our eyes to see the Lord Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his grace, in all of his majesty. For we ask it in your name. Amen. On December, the 28th of December, 1879, if you cast your minds back, the Tay Rail Bridge on the line between Edinburgh and Aberdeen collapsed and all the passengers plunged to their death in the icy waters of the Tay. It is still reckoned to be the fifth worst railway accident in the history of the UK. Are you aware of that? I remember being told about this when I, when I was uh, in primary school. Not, not back in the 19th century, clearly. <laughs> But this is a well-known story. Now, obviously, a massive inquiry was carried out after this disaster. But no solid conclusions were reached. You know that? After everybody went off and did the research, nobody really wanted to say exactly why it had happened. A number of uh, failures were highlighted. And most shocking of all, and this is what I remember being taught about when I was at school, uh, was that when they inquired into the foundry that had made the components out of which this bridge had been constructed, they found that that foundry used something called Beaumont's egg. This is why I remember it. They used Beaumont's egg. What is that, you ask? Well, it came from the French, and in classic sort of British style, when we take French expressions, we, we butcher them. Uh, the, the French expression, Beaumontage, was actually the expression. And it means literally, it was, a, it was an expression used by furniture makers in France, I think. Uh, and, it, it, and we have a similar expression in English, if you know people who work in workshops, say, to make good. Yeah, to make good, to make it look pretty, to make it look right. Uh, now, that's fine for a chest of drawers when you, when you sort of fill in the defects and make it look good, but that is not fine with an iron girder. If a casting came out with a defect, this is what was happening at the foundry. You know, a void left by a bubble, say, in the casting, a big important girder, and it's got a big bubble in it. What did they do? Well, the factory just simply filled the void with something called Beaumont's egg, which is described as, listen, a paste made of beeswax, fiddler's rosin, fine iron filings, and lamp black melted together, poured into the hole, and allowed to set. The nature of Beaumont's egg is that it appears to be metal when rubbed with a stone. So you, you really can't detect. It looks, it looks good. It's made good, right? But it's not, is it? Clearly, this fake metal, it's got absolutely no mechanical properties to speak of. And that is not something you want on a passenger rail bridge, is it? Now, sometimes 
fakery, mimicry, fakery is, is no big deal. It can actually be quite funny, can't it? I mean, who doesn't like watching an impressionist doing, doing an impression of the, the prime minister, uh, you know, putting, putting funny words into, the, into the, the mouth of someone like that? But sometimes it is a really big deal and it's dangerous, fakery. The idea now of, of fakery and of hypocrisy, well, that's nothing new already uh, in Jesus' sermon. We've come across it before, haven't we? He strongly warned us in the preceding chapters about the danger of playing to the crowd, and, and especially in, in areas like when we're praying or when we're fasting or when we're giving, all of which, rather, says Jesus, should be done just between us and God. You remember going through all of that? It's, it's God whose opinion is the only opinion that at the end of the day really matters, and so we should be performing for the audience of one. But here in our reading today, as we're coming now to the end of the sermon, only one more sermon of mine to cover it, uh, we are warned once more about fakery right here in these verses. And this time it's of the most grave and deadly kind of fakery. First of all, so there's two... First of all, amongst those who profess to bring us the word of God, false prophets. That's the first really dangerous fakery. And secondly, amongst those who profess to know Jesus, but really actually don't at the end of the day, false disciples. So we're going to look at false prophets and false disciples this morning. And these are deadly things. And it's crucial that we are alert and that we are discerning when it comes to both. This is not a sermon that you want to fall asleep through. Okay? So first of all, let's look at the first warning there. And it's a warning against false prophets. Beware false prophets. Look down with me then at verse 15. Let's have a look at this fakery. <clears throat> Watch out, says Jesus, for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, Jesus himself said there would be many of these false prophets. He said in Matthew chapter 24, so at the end of this gospel, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And the apostles, as this comes true immediately in the, in the church, wrote about the danger of them in several of their letters. Maybe you're aware of that, to the, to the churches in their day. For example, Peter writes this. Take a look at this. It's in 2 Peter chapter 2. This is really helpful for us this morning. Take a look at this. But there were also false prophets amongst the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they've made up, their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. I mean, it's the same as what Jesus is saying, isn't it? As he tells us later on in this passage about how, how the, the, the trees that don't bear, that bear the bad fruit, they will be burned up with fire. So what is a false prophet? Let's just back this down and be really, really simple. See, we tend perhaps, and I know there's an inclination towards this, we tend to think of prophets as being like the Bible version of Nostradamus. Some people think of them like that. I hope that's not you. Uh, in the sense that prophecy largely involves foretelling the future. 
But actually, it seems to me on balance, when you read the prophets in the Old Testament, and I've preached through certainly all of the, the minor prophets fairly recently, a better definition, a more defining characteristic, really, uh, is that they, uh, a prophet is one who speaks a word from God, so they are those who bring God's word to God's people. That's probably a, a better working definition of, of, who, of what they are. Now, though certainly they, <clears throat> they did foretell some future events, and actually a, a test of whether a prophet is genuine is that what he says actually comes to pass, right? So there is that element to it. Most of the material that these Old Testament prophets wrote, as far as I can see, is identifying the sins of the people. This is important, isn't it? To, let, to, to, to show the people their sin. This is, this is where you're going wrong. Telling them how God feels about their sin and calling them to turn, to repent before it is too late. That's really, that's the, that's the repeated message, isn't it, as you go through the prophets? They brought a word of warning. They brought instruction, and it's directly from God. So they can say, thus says the Lord, and then they'll tell you the, the warning message. Okay? So that's how we're going to think about what a, what a prophet is. So what is a false prophet then? Well, it follows then that they are those who claim to speak from God, but don't. They're claiming to, but it's, it's not real. They should be warning their hearers. Yeah, they've got a platform to speak, and they should be warning their hearers, but they don't. They just don't do it. Now, clearly, these false prophets that Jesus is speaking about, as we, as we, even as we start with the first verse there, verse, verse 15, we see that they are highly effective in what they're doing. Their, their, their deception is really effective. Our verse tells us that they come in sheep's clothing. So they look just like sheep. They are virtually indistinguishable from genuine sheep. Uh, sheep being a picture Jesus often uses, doesn't he, of, of, G, of God's genuine people, his sheep, his flock. And these people look like that. They look like they're the real deal. They look harmless. But though they look like sheep, says Jesus, in fact, it is only really a veneer. It's only a covering. They are, in fact, wolves. Now, what happens when a wolf gets in amongst the sheep. You can see the picture on the screen, can't you? That is what happens. What is the end game? I, mean, I had a, a picture uh, I was going to show you of this, but I decided actually not suitable for younger viewers. It is absolute butchery and devastation. It's like as if they're not thinking about how much they want to eat. They're just thinking kill. That's what they're thinking. I'm just going to wipe the flock out. We've settled for this one. It's bad enough, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, the internet tells us they, that wolves can be up to six feet long. Can you believe that? Six feet long, and a male wolf weighs up to 145 pounds. And it is all engineered to hunt and tear apart prey. That's what they do. But the most important feature is probably, actually, as Jesus is telling his audience, is that everybody knows that they're especially dangerous to sheep. That's what you need to know about a wolf, isn't it? They are, I mean, they're dangerous enough to humans, but they're especially dangerous to sheep. When a wolf gets into the sheep pen, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's not going to end well. But with that fluffy coat of sheepskin, 
Imagine this wolf, you know, all clad in, in sheep disguise, sheep camouflage. He's going to look like a pretty impressive sheep, isn't he? Or she. <laughs> the kind of sheep you'd, you'd perhaps, you know, be gravitated towards, that you'd want to follow. That's a healthy-looking sheep right there. The kind of sheep that probably knows where the best grass is, where the coolest, freshest, cleanest water is, right? And it's a terrible, hidden danger then, isn't it? The wolf in the sheep's clothing. So how will you detect them? <clears throat> because actually, when you read through these verses, you see that Jesus is actually putting that on you. You need to be able to do it. You've got to be able to detect these sheep. You've got to learn how to do it. And, and Jesus insists, actually, that the easiest way, the easiest way to detect them is it's all going to be in their fruit. Take a look at verse 16 with me. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. This is classic Jewish teaching where you repeat and say everything backwards and forwards to so get the point really in there. It's fruit, isn't it? Every tree, verse 19, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. It's by their fruit. Got that? Now, the commentaries all, all, all want to tell us, <clears throat> in Jesus' day, I quote, everyone knew that the buckthorn had little blackberries that could be mistaken for grapes, and that there was a thistle whose flower from a distance might be mistaken for a fig. Well, let's take that for granted, then that everybody would know that there are these things that look like what they're not out there. But how could you tell in each of those cases? Well, first of all, you get up closer and have a bit of a look, don't you? You've got to get a bit closer to it. And second of all, more importantly, I think, you wait and see what grows. What's going to grow from those flowers? Are they going to turn into figs? Because if they don't, it's a pretty telltale sign, isn't it? Amongst other things, then, the most simple way to identify the false prophet, really, here, is time and closer scrutiny. That's what's going to reveal everything, isn't it? Now, we already saw when we read those verses from 2 Peter, verse, uh, verses 2 and onwards, or chapter 2 onwards, um, we saw some of the fruit in those verses we read earlier, didn't we? That the fruit of these false prophets is the bringing of the gospel into disrepute. You ever, you ever seen a, a false prophet do that? Bring the gospel into disrepute? Uh, and they will exploit people, says Peter. And you will know them because they're greedy, right? We've got all of those things going on. Greedy, exploitative, and they're bringing the gospel into disrepute. You see that? It's a, it's a, it's a wolf. Run away from it. They use and manipulate people for what? To get the luxuries of this world, it would seem. Because that's actually, when you scratch below the surface, that's what they really care about. Not treasure in heaven, as Jesus has told us earlier. It's what we ought to be pursuing. No, 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 no. They, they, want, they want the luxuries now. And in, do, do it, in doing so, here's the thing. The world can even see that they're charlatans. Right? Something's off. The world looks at them and says, and they've got that reputation. Well, what else will help you spot them? What other fruit? 
Now, the prophet Jeremiah, he's really helpful on this one. And I want us to turn to this and have a look. Jeremiah lived in a time when false prophets were on the rampage. There were wolves in the nation. The sin of the people of God in, in Jeremiah's day had got to a level where judgment was now inevitable. It was, it was coming. It was just on the horizon. And Jeremiah, you probably know, he had a, rip, a bit of a reputation for being all doom and gloom. People often call him the weeping prophet, don't they? He's a bit of a downer, Jeremiah. But the, the false prophets weren't. <laughs> They were much more pleasant company. They had other concerns. If you want to turn to Jeremiah 23, you'll find it on page 782 if you've got one of the church Bibles. Or you just use your smart device and just tap a couple of buttons. Jeremiah 23. You'll get a good idea of the kind of fruit produced by these false prophets. Let's take a look at them. We'll just start looking at verse 9. And I want you to see that a false prophet here is characterized by an abuse of power, first of all. Uh, and Jeremiah makes it very clear. Concerning the prophets, he says in verse 9, my heart is broken with me. This is God's word. God speaking. My heart is broken with me, in me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. The land is full of adulterers, because of the curse of the land lies parched, and the pastures in the desert are withered. The prophets follow an evil course, and they use their power unjustly. Abuse of power. And their message as well. Their message is another piece of fruit that's very, very helpful for identifying them. Have a look down to verse 16 with me. Verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. Yeah? They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Their message, is, their message is a message that is not offensive at all. It's just a message full of hope. That's it. There's no downside to their message. It's all pleasant. It's all lovely. And it's also, again, looking at their message a little bit later in the next verse, it's a message that never really calls people to repent. It never calls people to turn. What do they say? What do these false prophets say to a nation that's clearly despising God? As Jeremiah says, take a look. Verse 17, they say to those who despise me, the Lord says you'll have peace. Wow. God is love. There's no reason to fear him. 